This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, as we begin a brand new week and a brand new month, I've got a couple of brand new shows to unveil. Tomorrow night, we're going to hear from Glenn Ford as a private eye in the show Christopher London. And then Wednesday, Brian Dunleavy stars as a spy in the Dangerous Assignment program. And tonight, I want to thank a listener from Waterloo, Iowa, David Kelly, who suggested the show we're about to hear. He told me in an email that he became familiar with the show years ago when HWOAM 1040 in Des Moines, Iowa had an old-time radio program every night. And it, happily, he discovered Zoomer Radio a while back, and now he's a regular listener here. But the show Dave has recommended is called Nightbeat and stars Frank Lovejoy in the lead role. And he's a night reporter for the fictitious newspaper The Chicago Star. And when I auditioned the show, I found the writing and delivery, everything that Dave had suggested it might be. I hope you enjoy the first of many Night Beat programs here on Theater of the Mind. And tonight's episode is entitled, The Night is a Weapon. Night Beat. This is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Stories start in many different ways. But tonight's story began when one man tried to destroy another with the strangest weapon of all. Darkness. Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. When your job is to walk into the darkness and discover what makes a city tick, you pick up some mighty strange friends. The winos dreaming of a muscatel paradise in cold, dark doorways. The petty larceny boys with their fast deals. The painted little dames defying the world with their brassy laughter. The homeless, the hopeless. In the city, night is for the lost. And sometimes you feel a hunger to be with someone of the everyday world. Some nice, well-adjusted soul who's got a reason for waking up tomorrow morning. I guess that's why I dropped in to see Bessie Chadfield tonight. Bessie's a little gray-haired librarian who has charge of a small storefront library on Huron Street. No one around this time of night but Bessie and a young fellow in a gray raincoat alone at a reading table. Mr. Stone, 
Well, we haven't seen you, oh, in such a long time. <laughs> well, since Forever Amber, you haven't had the kind of high-type literature that interests me. <laughs> and when you finally do drop in, look what time you get here. Ten o'clock. Right when I have to go over and start turning out the lights. I, uh, I timed it that way so I could get you behind those bookcases, uh, away from that fellow with the reading desk. Well, I'm afraid your timing is about 35 years off, Mr. Stone. <laughs> Oh, these light switches. Why do they always put them up so high? Aren't you going to tell that fellow it's time to go home? This is the way we tell them. We flick off the lights and then flick them on again. First off, like this. No! Don't do that! No! What? Turn the lights on quick. Let me handle him. What's the idea of doing that, mister? That's supposed to be smarter, so... Oh, take it easy, fella. Take it easy. Or did he pay you to do it? Is that the deal? Huh? You tell George Brewster that the game doesn't amuse me anymore. You tell him if he keeps that up, I'll, I'll kill him. Oh, wait. I turned the lights out. It's closing time. What? Closing time? Oh. Yes, of course. What's wrong with you, buddy? You sick or something? Sick. Sick, yes, that's me, sick. Only mine's a childhood disease. Childhood. Childhood. Now, what in the world was that? I don't know. Ever seen him before? He's come in a couple of times this week. Spent all his time reading some reference books at the table. Seemed to be such a nice, polite young man. Considerate, kindly. Let's take a look at those books. Oh, my heavens, my, my heart is beating a mile a minute. And did you see his face? It frightened me. He was even more scared than we were. Of what? These are books he was reading? yes. The Mind in Limbo, Abnormal Psychology, Modern Psychiatry. Why would he want books like this? Maybe he was looking for somebody in these books. Who? Himself, Bessie. Probably himself. Bessie was pretty upset, so after she locked up for the night, I started walking her toward the elevated station over on Lake Street. We'd walked a couple of blocks through the dark, empty streets when suddenly Bessie grabbed my arm. Mr. Stone, that man down the street, looking in that store window, mm. that's him. Oh, yes, same gray raincoat, same lad. And look, Mr. Stone, what's that in his hand? That's a piece of pipe or something. He's breaking that store window. Yeah, you wait right here, honey. Be careful, Mr. Stone, be careful. The fellow was reaching through the broken window glass for whatever it was that had struck his fancy. He heard me coming and turned toward me. The wan streetlight did something to his face. It seemed twisted and torn. Blood was running down his hand where the glass had cut it. Then I saw what he'd taken from the window. A gun. What's the idea, pal? He spun around and started running for the elevated station down the block. And in the best tradition of the Rover boys, I stayed right on his tail. He turned back to see how I was doing. He stumbled over a trash can near the curb. I caught up with him, grabbing his arm. Go on, me. He slashed the gun across my face and began running again. I stopped long enough to take a quick inventory of my teeth. Up above, I heard the elevator train coming into the station. The young fellow had reached the station steps and was going up fast, trying to make that train. I reached for one of his legs. He turned and gave it to me right in the stomach. I folded up and I just sat there. I listened to the train pull away with the fellow on it and remembered what Bessie had said about him being such a nice, polite young man. (laughs) 
After a while, I began to feel somewhat human again. I notified the police what had happened, and they sent a squad car out. After they left, I remembered something, a name this nice, polite young man had been throwing around, George Brewster. I found a phone book in a cigar store. There were three George Brewsters. The first number didn't answer. I tried the second. Hello? I'd like to speak to George Brewster. Oh, he's not in right now. Is there any message? Uh, who is this? I'm his sister. Is anything wrong? Well, if this is the right George Brewster, something is wrong. Is there any reason why a young fellow should want to kill your brother? Oh, oh, that would be Morrison. Oh, I warned George. Morrison, huh? Tom Morrison. Where does he live? Our old apartment, 612 Hamlin Avenue. What makes you think he wants to kill George? Well, this uh, character broke into a store tonight and stole a gun. I sort of think he had your brother in mind when he did it. Oh, no. What am I going to do? Well, lady, I know what I'm going to do. As fast as I hang up and get another nickel into this phone, I'm going to call the police. Morrison's fault, poor man. Oh, no, no. He's, uh, he's just a prince of a fellow. Uh, goodbye, lady. I've got to make a call. But then it turned out that I didn't have a nickel. And on the way to the counter for change, I started wondering why the sister of the man he was going to kill felt sorry for Morrison. And why Bessie thought he was such a sweet character. And, well... The night was young, and 612 Hamlin Avenue couldn't wait, and I could call the cops later. <laughs> 612 North Hamlin was a second-floor flat on the north side. I got there a few minutes after 11 that night. All the windows were lit up. I rang the bell, and I waited. I felt a little bead of sweat zigzagging down my face like I didn't have any place to go. Yes, it's you. No, no, let's not close the door just yet. In fact, let's push it open all the way. What do you want? My two front teeth and a few ribs. Get out of here. Now, look, pal, don't tempt me. I came against my better judgment to listen to what you've got to say. I leave now. The only place I'm going is the nearest police station. Police station. I guess maybe that would be the best. What? Otherwise, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I guess you better call the police, mister. What do you think you're doing, calling my bluff? The phone's right behind you. Okay, buddy, you asked for it. Sure this is the way you want it? It's better this way. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't want to kill him. George Brewster? Yes, George Brewster. I know how it'll end if he doesn't stop. Stop what? Call the police, mister. You'd be doing me a favor. Since when have I got to do you favors? Well, why aren't you calling? I'm an Eagle Scout in good standing. I haven't done my good deed for today. You can't help me, mister. Stone is the name. What makes you so sure I can? Thanks for even wanting to. After that bad time I gave you. Bad time? That's the understatement of the year. Well, I was panic-stricken. It got me half crazy. Well, what have you got to lose if you tell me about it? No. Okay. Wait, wait. I don't know. I'm like a drowning man grasping at straws. Maybe if you talked to Brewster, told him what he's doing to me, maybe, maybe he'd leave me alone. <laughs> well, you never can tell. But I'd have to know what I'm talking about. It's quite a story, mister. These lights. Look at them. Bright as the sun, aren't they? Lamps. Overhead chandeliers. Look at them. I'd hate to see your light bills. Like some men need drugs. That's how I need these lights. 
Come again? My sanity depends on it. My very sanity. And these lights? It's a sickness. You even got a name for it. Noctophobia, it's called. Fear of darkness. Fear of darkness? That's for kids. I... Uh, no, I, I uh, take that back. I'm sorry. Don't be. I quite agree. Kids. Or neurotic women. But in a man of my age, it's, it's quite ridiculous. Only when the day starts drawing to a close, when the night starts crowding in. Have you been to a doctor? Sure, I've been to doctors. They tell me I shouldn't feel too badly. Plenty of people with my trouble. A hangover from childhood. An illness. Like heart trouble is an illness. I'll take the heart trouble. Maybe you haven't gone to the right kind of a doctor. Maybe psychiatry could help you. Nothing's going to help me. George Brewster's going to see to that. What about this, uh, Brewster? He's trying to destroy me. With the strangest weapon of all. The strangest weapon of all? Yes. His weapon is the night. You are listening to Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy. In a moment, we'll return to Nightbeat and Randy Stone. But first, we'd like to call your attention to another great NBC mystery adventure program. Every Sunday, you'll want to hear the exciting new Christopher London series with screen actor Glenn Ford in the title role. Stories for Christopher London are furnished by Earl Stanley Gardner, one of the most famous mystery story writers in America. There is no doubt about the greatness of Gardner's stories, and with the superb acting of Glenn Ford, Christopher London should be must-listening for every mystery fan. Make a listening date now to hear the exciting adventures of Christopher London every Sunday over most of these same NBC stations. And now, back to Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone in Nightbeat. It was a weird feeling standing in Morrison's brilliantly lighted parlor listening to him tell me about his terror of darkness. A sturdy, healthy-looking man trapped by a childhood nightmare. I felt guilt listening to him like I was eavesdropping into a dark corner of his mind that was nobody's business but his own. And yet he had to tell me because he needed help. Because George Brewster was using Morrison's fear to destroy him. I was sent to Chicago by our company to replace Brewster Stone. Till he found out why I was here, he couldn't do enough for me. He even got me this apartment. Greater love hath no man. Then he found out what the setup was. He changed fast enough. How did he find out about this uh, fear of yours? Well, I'm telling you how. The other night, the two of us were working alone in the big vault down at the office, working on some old account or other. The overhead light it blew out. Uh-huh. It was so sudden, I, I couldn't help myself. I tried to keep calm, but it looked like something tearing me to pieces inside. I, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't... Finally, I had to run. So he found out... No, about... no, no, he wasn't sure, but started him thinking. Yes, I see. Next afternoon, he came over to my desk. He was jovial, friendly, like he'd been in the beginning. Saying we'd been at each other's throats long enough. Inviting me to have dinner with him that night. Right from work, we went to his favorite spot on the north side, a place called the Catacombs. I began feeling uneasy the moment I entered. How 
do you like this place, Tom? That's okay. It's fine. Uh, it's been a favorite of mine for years. One spot in particular. <laughs> the wine cellar. How do you feel about wine? Oh, I like it all right. Come along with me. I'm a wine man from way back. Uh, say, George, I... I wanted to talk to you about that little outburst last night. They have a different wine cellar here with a different temperature for each type of wine. I haven't been sleeping well, you see. Me, I prefer Riesling myself. Well, here we are. Huh? The white wine cellar. We'll select our own brand for our supper. Here, I'll open the door. Yeah, this is a privilege only an old customer like me can get away with. Come on. It's dark down there. That's why they've got this candle here on the ledge. Got a match? I, uh... A match, Tom. Mm. Yeah. Here. Okay. I'll get this candle going. Good. Now, let's go downstairs. Uh, George, uh... You think we should do this on our own? Done it hundreds of times. Been coming here for the last ten years. Well, now let's go down these stairs. Then. Careful. Yeah. George, I was explaining about last night. Candle casts uh, funny shadows, doesn't it? You notice how cool it is? 20 feet below street level. Here. Look, I want to talk about last night. I, I don't want any misunderstanding. Huh? It's just that I've been working pretty hard. Look, Tom, would it make you feel better if you showed me you're not afraid of the dark? Okay, you can show me. I'll blow out the candle. What are you trying to prove, Brewster? Nothing at all. It's your idea. Where are those matches I gave you? You gave me some matches? Well, I must have lost them. It's not going to work, Brewster. I'm not insane, you know. I can stay down here until you're quite satisfied. Funny, isn't it, about the darkness? The way it seems to close in on you. The way you start thinking you can't breathe. I know, I, I can see how someone could... What's the matter, this is ridiculous. Something so suffocating about a dark room. Stop it. Stop it. Only the heavy, smothering blackness. Stop it. Where are you going, Tom? Anything wrong? <laughs> Anything wrong? Anything wrong? Ran out of that cellar like a kid. Like a kid scared to death, Stone. It was a rotten thing for him to do. Well, he's fighting for his job, Stone. He's... Not too young anymore. He can't start all over again, so we'll do anything. Oh, great. I'm sure he's told the people down at work. I'm sure they're all laughing at me behind my back. You don't know what that does to me. I can imagine. Today I found a new desk lamp on my desk, courtesy of George Brewster. Every day, something like that. Did you ask him why he's doing it? He won't admit he's doing anything. He says it's all my imagination. Maybe I ought to see a doctor. Or better still, maybe a change of climate would help. Well, I'd leave town in a minute. Only my future's at stake, too. Before I let him drive me crazy, I'll kill him. Well, I'm going now. I'm going to talk to this bird. Where does he live? Out in the suburbs, Lake Forest. He lives with his sister. All right, I'll give you a ring as soon as I've seen him. Mr. Stone, I hope you can do some good. Yeah. Oh. Say, I almost forgot something. What? Uh, that gun you made off with. Well, I, Maybe if we're lucky, we can talk the store owner out of pressing charges. I'll try. That was a crazy thing to do. I was so desperate. Wouldn't have done you much good when they put them in the window. They never loaded. 
I'll let you in on a secret. If I hadn't known that, I wouldn't have been such a hero coming here tonight. I'll let you in on a secret, Mr. Stone. You can get bullets without a license. The gun's loaded now. Oh, oh, oh great. All right, go, go and get it for me. All right. Yes, I want to give it to you. It's in my bedroom. He started for the bedroom. And then it was almost like a comedy routine where, after the big build-up, the punchline comes right out on cue. The moment he entered the other room, every light in the house suddenly went out. What happened to the lights? Take it easy. Where's the fuse box? I don't know. Never had any occasion to use it. Besides, if it was a fuse, all the lights wouldn't go out. It wasn't you. Use your head. How could I do it? I'm getting out of here. All lights out, too. Stone. Well, maybe something went wrong with the central wire. But why should it happen exactly now? Wait, huh? The downstairs apartment. Their lights are on. If it was the wire, all right, I... all right. Let's ask them where the fuse box is. Yes? Oh, Mr. Morris. Uh, my lights went out. It, it might be a fuse. Where are the fuse boxes for these apartments? Out in the back. I'll get a flashlight and show you. Here we are. The fuse box is right here below our meters. Whenever the people from the light company come out, they have a dickens of a time finding it. Will you hold the flashlight steady and let me take a look? Wait a minute, Stone. Lower the flashlight just a little. Huh? It's not the fuse. Look at the master switch on my meter. Look at the one of Mrs. Graham's. Why, somebody pulled your switch down to off. Yes. Yes, someone surely did. Well, here, let me push it up. There. And look upstairs. All your lights are on again. That's probably some kids playing a joke. Now, how do you suppose the rascals ever found it? It's so well hidden. I, uh... I've got a theory that all kids come equipped with a special radar of finding things like this. Mrs. Graham, tell this gentleman who used to live in my apartment before I did. Why? Tell him. Why, you know. He even got the apartment for you. Your friend, Mr. Brewster. But what is that? Tom, got... that doesn't prove he did it. For me, it does, Stone. For me, it does. <laughs> Morrison went around to the front of his house and up the stairs to his flat. I waited in the hallway until he came down again. He looked different. His face was hard and set. His eyes were like chunks of glass punched into the flesh. What are you waiting for, Stone? When we were so rudely interrupted, you were going for the gun. I've got it now. Oh, yes. Hand it over. I'll bring it back. No, thanks. Well, where are you going and what are you going to do? I'm fighting for my sanity, my life. He's never going to do this to me again. Never. I can't let you do that. You're not going to have to. The minute you leave, I'm going to call every cop in the book. Yes, that's what you do, isn't it? Yes. Then I'd better give you the gun. <laughs> this could become habit-forming. I dropped to my knees in the hallway, and then the hallway subdivided like something under a microscope, and there were two hallways, and then there were four. And then everywhere I looked, there were hallways. Morrison tried to push me aside and get by me, only it was a whole circle of Morrison's. I grabbed at his legs to hold him back and it was like grabbing at a centipede. Then all the Morrison's in all the hallways brought all their guns down on my one poor head. And that was it, brothers and sisters, that was it. Feeling better, Mr. Stone? Oh, if I... 
Something better I'd call an embalmer. Oh, what a business. I heard a commotion and I came out and you were lying here. Oh, this my head or is it a cantaloupe? Oh, how did it happen and where's Mr. Morrison? Oh, Morrison, Morrison, yes. How long ago did you hear this commotion? Oh, just a couple of minutes ago. You came out of it real fast. Yeah, I've got an iron constitution. Have you got a, got a phone? Well, yes, but don't you think you Come better... on, lady, grab my head, put it back on nice and neat and let's get to that phone. <laughs> Hello, this is the fellow who called you before, Miss Brewster, about Morrison and your brother. Oh, yes. He's not there yet, huh? No, my brother is... I don't mean your brother, I mean Morrison. What? No, is, is he... Oh, yes, he sure is. Now, give me your address, and the minute you hang up, get away from your house as fast as you can. Morrison's got a gun, and he's half crazy. Maybe we should call the police. Well, maybe we should, but I'm not going to. They'd throw the book at him ten years for attempted murder. I think I can stop him before he does anything. Oh, I can't tell you how sorry I am about this. Lady, you and your brother should be. <laughs> cab got me out to their Lake Forest house in less than 20 minutes. The house was on a hill, and a flagstone path wound round and round for a city block until it reached the front porch. As I ran up the walk, my head started rattling like a handful of pennies in a tin cup. I felt weak and tired. All the time, I tried not to think about what I'd find when I reached the house. And now I was at the end of the path, walking toward the front porch. A nerve deep in my throat started jangling like a burglar alarm. The house was in darkness. And Morrison was standing beneath a little porch light, his gun pointed right at me. You won't quit, will you, Stone? What have you done with him, Tom? He hasn't done anything with him yet, Mr. Stone. Huh? Who is... I'm sitting over here at the end of the porch. I'm George's sister. Oh. I didn't see you in the dark. Why didn't you get away like I told you? I won't hurt her. It's him. He'll be coming along soon. George would never have done what he did. I begged him not to. To take advantage of a man's weakness. Well, Mr. Brewster is coming home. What? His car is stopping at the bottom of the hill. Now he's starting the long climb. Morrison, listen to me. You just sit there, the both of you. And I must insist that you be very quiet. Please, listen to me. Please. Please. Keep coming up that path, Brewster. It's a long, long way. You must listen to me. Morrison. You don't know what you're Waiting doing. near the porch light, the gun George in his hurt hand. you. He shouldn't have done that. Far below the small what figure of George here? Brewster so making a long, slow you climb. realize that you're going to kill George because he found out about your fear. But don't you see? George is afraid, too, of bigger things. Of being 53 and seeing his whole life going down. Brewster had stopped at the first landing to That's catch his breath. And now he was climbing up the path again. He was fighting. Maybe a hundred steps from his death. I found myself counting the steps. Why are you afraid of Don't you see? If you weren't afraid, George couldn't hurt you anymore. Please listen to me. Keep your voice down. If you try to warn him, you both die too. Keep coming, Brewster. Yes, he kept coming. No more than 70 steps now. What is there to fear about the dog? The girl's voice going on and on. Nothing. Brewster getting closer. All it does is hide the world. Less than 50 steps now. 40 steps. 
Uh, don't uh, mind me. I just came along for the ride. What's this all about? I... I just came to... say goodbye, Brewster. You're leaving? Yes. I'm going back and tell them you've... you've done a good job here. It's not fair to replace you after so many years. You sure nobody scared you away, Morrison? Look at him, Brewster. Does he look like he's afraid? <laughs> I don't know if Julie cured Morrison of his fear of darkness. Cure is a pretty strong word. But maybe she helped. I kind of think so. I do know this. It's going to be mighty hard for Tom to fear the darkness, knowing Julie is not afraid. But neither Tom nor I will ever forget what we saw as the porch light lit up her face. Julie Brewster, who did not fear the darkness, was blind. And now that part of the story they always print in heavy type, the moral. And don't smile so indulgently. Morals are very nice things. Some of my best friends have morals. <laughs> you know, seriously, Julie's whole life is a moral in itself. And trying to top it is like trying to follow Al Jolson with a mammy song. The best you can do is tip your hat to the fellow who wrote... Out of the night that covers me, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. He must have had someone like Julie in mind. Well, four o'clock in the morning, a stale cup of coffee, a tired sandwich, and a story to dictate, and I worry about my unconquerable soul. Ah, me. Give me a rewrite. Nightbeat, a new dramatic series, stars Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Nightbeat is written by Larry Marcus and directed by Warren Lewis. Music by Frank Worth. Listen next week at this same time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness. The stories that come out of the shadows to find their way into Nightbeat. Well, 
once again, I'd like to thank our listener who requested that, Dave Kelly. And as always, I'd like to uh, welcome comments or suggestions for the show. You can reach me via email at f.proctor at mzmedia.com. Now, stay tuned for Ozzy and Harriet next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. Heinz Company, makers of 57 varieties of fine foods for over 80 years, present the amusing transcribed adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring the entire Nelson family, Ozzie, Harriet, David, and Ricky. Ozzie and Harriet any place, but there's David and Ricky. And David stretched out on the floor taking it easy, and Ricky seems to be reading the funnies to him. Then in the last box, the captain says, Ernt now gives a good spanking for pulling the inspector's beard. And what is Rollo saying? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> now read me Terry and the Pirates. Oh, come on, David. Read them yourself. Don't be so ungrateful. I used to read them to you, didn't I? Yeah, but that was before I could read. Besides, I have to make out my report. What report? We have a club meeting tonight. I'm the treasurer. Big deal. What do you need a treasurer for? You kids don't have any money. That's how much you know about it. How much you got in the treasury? We got plenty, boy. I'll bet. We got it hidden in a swell place, too, boy. You'll never find it. Who wants it? Where is it? <laughs> It's a club secret. Okay, who wants to know anyway? It was my idea. It's a neat one, too, boy. Oh, hi, fellas. Hi, Pop. Hi, Pop. I might as well tell you because you're going to find it out pretty soon anyway. What's this? I'm treasurer of our club. Big deal. Oh, good for you. I'm the only treasurer, too. <laughs> the only treasurer? How many presidents do you have? Eight. <laughs> Eight presidents? Sure, and six vice presidents, four secretaries, and two ghoulies. <laughs> what are ghoulies? Well, it's a thing we made up. When we got through with the election, there were two members that weren't elected to anything. So we made up that they were ghoulies. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. Every member of the club's an officer, huh? Yep, and I'm the only treasurer. Well, that's quite an honor. Thanks, Pop. I'd rather be a ghoulie. <laughs> about that, David. Being treasurer of a club's a big responsibility. Oh, Pop. Yes, it is. Shows that the other members of Ricky's club have a great deal of respect for him. Means that they trust him and consider him better qualified than anybody else for the responsibility of the position. And besides, nobody else won the job. <laughs> hey, you fellas had better hurry up. Okay, Mom. Come on, money bags. Okay, David. Cut the shoving. So long. So long. Bye, boys. Goodbye, boys. What was the big discussion about? 
Yeah, Rick was telling me about some club he's in. Seems they've elected him treasurer. Oh, speaking of treasurer, I have to run downtown for a few things. Do you have any money? Money? Let's see. Hmm. You took $10 yesterday. Did you spend all of it or don't you know? Well, Harriet, I don't like the implications of that remark. I may act like I'm careless with money and and uh, look like I'm careless with money and, and some people may think I'm careless with money. You know why? Because you're careless with money? All <laughs> because I've always got to figure it out in my head. I don't have to keep figuring and adding all the time. I know just how much money I've got in my pocket right now. I believe you. I wasn't... No, no, go ahead. Ask me how much I've got in my pocket. But I told you... Go ahead. Ask me. How much money have you got in your pocket right now? Thought you'd catch me, didn't you? (laughs) Second, I'll figure it out. Three and and five. Eight and ten. Twenty. Exactly 38 cents. Is that all you have? 38 cents? Yeah, there it is. 20, 30, 35, 37. No, that's right, I weighed myself. <laughs> 37 cents left out of $10. What'd you buy, an automobile? No, it so happens I can explain every penny. No, I was only kidding. No, 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 wait a minute, I'd rather. Let's see. First I went to the garage and had the car filled up with gas. That was three and a half. Six and a half to go. Then I met Thorny. That cost me about a dollar and a half. <laughs> two cheese sandwiches, two chocolate malteds, two pieces of pie, and the check was under my plate. I think I was framed. <laughs> That's five. Uh, then I went down to the Emporium and, and bought a shirt. They were on sale. That was three and a half. Uh, after that, I, I stopped in at the hardware store to get a padlock for the garage. Oh, I got a flashlight that shines red and green. That's something we need. Oh, desperately. (laughs) What did you say? Nothing. Go ahead. I also found a set of wrenches for the car and a box of magic crystals for the fireplace. They make the fire burn all different colors. It's quite an idea. All that came to about $4. What about the padlock? Well, I'll, I'll pick that up next time. Then I stopped at the drugstore on the way home and I bought some toothpaste and uh, a can of shoe polish, and some magazines, which uh, came to a little over $2. There you figure it up. I have. I've been writing it down. Altogether, you spent about $15. All right. Fifteen? No, no. You must have made a mistake. I only had $10 with me. Let's see. Gasoline, three and a half. Thorny and the sandwiches, a dollar and a half. Yeah, that's five. Shirt at the Emporium, three and a half. After that, temptation at the hardware store, four dollars. That's twelve and a half. And two dollars and something at the drugstore, that makes it about fifteen. Not bad for starting out with ten dollars. You know, some clerk must have given you too much change. Say, that's it. That's exactly what happened. The girl at the Emporium gave me five dollars too much change when I bought the shirt. How do you know? Well, I remember now. I gave her a $5 bill, and she gave me change for a 10 She was very busy, and she was waiting on two or three customers at the same time. Are you sure? I'm positive. In fact, I remember looking at my wallet and thinking I had too much money at the time. How about that? Gave me change for a 10 instead of a 5 Well, I'm going downtown now. Why don't you go with me, and you can stop in and return the $5? Uh, right now, you mean? It'll save a trip later. Well, Okay. 
The only thing, though. I know it isn't easy. We just have to remember it isn't our money. Yeah, yes, I I realize that. It, it's just. Just what? Uh, do you have five dollars? <laughs> shop here at the Emporium and then go across the street. Do you want to wait for me? No, no, that's okay. Why don't you go ahead and I'll see you at home later. Okay, bye. Bye. So she says to me he's a swell guy, but he never wants to take me out. And I said, well, that's the trouble. Oh, just a second. Uh, what can I do for you, sir? Oh, uh, uh, wasn't there another girl working at this counter yesterday? Oh, yes, that's Ingrid Mahoney. She isn't here anymore. Oh. Well, uh, uh, I bought a shirt here yesterday, and she made a mistake. All adjustments are made on the third floor upstairs. So she says to me, what would you uh, do? Uh, you pardon me. Uh, yes? Well, uh, this uh, Miss Mahoney made a mistake in the chain. I'm sorry, but all adjustments are made on the third floor upstairs. So she says to me, what would you do if you were me? Here she's going steady with this fellow who won't take her out, and another fellow's dying to take her out. So what's she going to do? Uh, tell her to go upstairs. I beg your pardon? Uh, all adjustments are made on the third floor. How do you do, sir? Oh, uh, how do you do? Uh, is this the adjustment office? Uh, yes, it is. Won't you sit down? No, oh, thank you. Uh, is there anything I can do for you? Uh, yeah, uh, my name is Nelson. I bought a shirt here yesterday, and the girl gave me the wrong change. You're supposed to count your change before you leave the counter. There's a sign right there in black and white. Well, yes, I know, but it happens I was in a hurry. And we can't be responsible if you're in a hurry. No, 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 I only... Now, let's be cool and practical about this, sir. How do you know you didn't make a mistake? Well, I, I checked and double-checked. Perhaps you were confused. No, I wasn't confused. I don't get confused about things like that. Then why didn't you read the sign? We can't go making good every time somebody says he was short-changed. No, no, I wasn't short-changed. I got $5 too much. You weren't confused. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get confused. No. Do you know what you just said? What? You said the girl gave you $5 too much. Well, that's right, she did. And now I'm confused. <laughs> you say you got $5 too much? Yes, that's right. Then what's your complaint? Well, I, I want to return the $5. What's your racket, bud? <laughs> I haven't got any racket. I came in here to give you back the $5. A likely story. Mr. Nelson, do you think I believe for one moment that any human being with a mentality higher than an orangutan would return money to a department store? Now, look, I didn't come here to be called an orangutan. Here's your $5. Goodbye. Come back here. <laughs> Don't you dare leave that $5 bill on my desk. But that's the $5 the girl gave me. You can't leave it here. You can't. But I just told you it's your $5. I never admitted it. You haven't got any witnesses. Look, all I want to do is give you this money and go home. Now, here's your $5. Now, look, Mr. Nelson, you, you can't do this to me. Do what to you? To Mr. Nelson, you look like a reasonable man. Try to see my side of it. The books are already balanced for yesterday. This $5 bill will throw them off. They'll be off for a month for the semi-annual audit, for the yearly balance sheet. 
The auditors will be here at the end of the year, and here I am, unbalanced. <laughs> They'll find out in a minute. You can't put anything over on those fellows. What will I tell them? You can't leave that five dollars here. You can't. Oh, okay, okay. If you feel that way about it, I'll keep the five dollars. Oh, thank you, Mr. Nelson. <laughs> If there's ever anything I can do for you in return... No, that, that, that's, that's all right. J just forget it. Oh, here... Here's a calendar and a courtesy card entitling you to an hour's free parking. Oh, thank you. Mr. Nelson, it's been a pleasure to meet a man as understanding and accommodating as you. Oh, that, that's perfectly all right. I, I, and I, uh, I hope you won't take it personally if I make a suggestion. And what's that? Either count your change before you leave the counter or don't count it at all! <laughs> So I took the five dollars and came home. That's the silliest thing I ever heard of. I argued with the man. I pleaded with him. After all, you can't force a man to accept money if he doesn't want to take it. He said it would mix up their accounting system. I even laid it on his desk and he threw it right back at me. Oh, here. Here's a, a calendar he gave me. But why didn't you give the five dollars to the girl who made the mistake originally? Oh, oh, didn't I tell you? She doesn't work there anymore. This is kind of a cute calendar at that. Isn't it a shame? This November isn't bad. <laughs> Imagine skiing in a costume like that. Firing a girl just because she gave you the wrong change. Oh, say, that never occurred to me. You think she was fired? She was there yesterday, and she gave you five dollars too much change, and she's not working there today. Oh, gee. Poor girl. Well, Harriet, it isn't my fault. Oh, I know it. It's just a shame, that's all. Hi, Pop. Hi, Mom. Hello, oh, boys. Oh, hello, boys. Something wrong, Pop? No, no. Nothing really, David. Well, some girl in a department store made a mistake and gave your father too much change, and she got fired for it. Golly. Golly. Poor girl. Poor girl? Poor girl. Well, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> well, of course not, dear. How could you help it? Sure, how could you help it? Why didn't you count your change? <laughs> I was in a hurry. The girl probably had to make up the five dollars and lost her job besides. Well, Farmery was telling me about a girl who lost her job last week and tried to jump in the river. David, this just happened yesterday. <laughs> What's everybody making such a big thing about this? It wasn't my fault, and I went back to the store and tried to straighten it out. Now, let's all forget about it. Can we go out, Pop? Certainly. Go ahead. Hey, David? Yeah? Let's go down the river and watch. <laughs> see what's going on with Ozzie and Harriet. As we rejoin them, Ozzie's out in the backyard, staring into space, when along comes neighbor Thornberry. Hi, Oz. Oh, hello, Thorny. What are you so worried about? You look as if you'd lost your last friend. Uh, honestly, Thorny, I can get in... No, you wouldn't be interested. Oh, come on, Oz. Cut it out. You know, I'm always interested in anything. It all started when I went down to the Emporium to buy a couple of shirts. 
There's a sales girl who waited on Just me. a minute, Oz. Maybe it's best that you don't tell me. Well, you asked me to tell you, so now you're going to hear it whether you like it or not. Okay, Oz, go ahead. You were saying this uh, beautiful sales girl waited on you. Yes, this beautiful sa... Now, wait a minute. I didn't say that. <laughs> anyway, I, I bought a white shirt, and this girl gave me $5 too much change. I don't know why I didn't catch the mistake at the time. I, I understand, guess... Oz. You don't have to explain. Understand what? Fight it, Oz, old boy. Fight what? This mad infatuation. Now look, Thorny. <laughs> All I did was go in and buy a white shirt. It's very obvious. You don't have to explain to me. There's a bit of the mad beast in every man, but you've just got to fight it. Oh, for goodness <laughs> Did you read this month's Cosmopolitan? No, no, I didn't. Well, maybe it was last month's. Anyway, there was a story there, and the parallel is amazing. Look, Thorny. Fight it, Oz. I don't want to fight it. The whole thing is ridiculous. Did Harriet suggest that you find out the girl's name and give back the $5? No, she didn't. There you are. Where am I? <laughs> well, she understands. She sees the danger. Oz, we've got to face it. Ever since the beginning of time, women have had intuition about these things. Now, you take this story I was reading in the American Weekly. No, no, no. It was Cosmopolitan. No, this was a different one. <laughs> it seems there was this no, no, girl no, and this man... Now, Thorny, wait a minute, will you please? Before you change the subject, you, you really think that, that Harriet might, might be a little... Uh, I mean, you really think so? Well, if she didn't, wouldn't she be the first to suggest that you find out where this girl lives and take the money over to her? Well, she'd come right out and say... Ozzy. Uh, yes? Oh, hello, Thorny. Ozzy, you know, I've just been thinking this thing over. Why don't you find out where this girl lives and take the money over to her? Well, that's a wonderful idea, Harriet. Only thing is you just set women's intuition back 2,000 years. <laughs> I can't understand it. Well, don't look so disappointed, Thorny. Fight it, old boy. Fight it. <laughs> Pardon me. Oh, what can I do for you, sir? Well, there was a girl working here yesterday named Ingrid Mahoney. Yes? Well, uh, could you give me her name and address? Her name and address? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I have her name, but I, I want her address. Say, weren't you the same fellow who was here this morning asking about Ingrid? Oh, uh, yes, I am. Well, it may interest you to know she's going steady. Well, I, I don't care about that. Gee, a regular caveman. <laughs> so all I want is Ingrid Mahoney's address. Why is it as soon as a girl goes steady, all the fellas get interested in her? Well, I, I, I don't know, but, but that isn't what I have in mind. You can find lots of girls who aren't going steady. <laughs> I'm not going steady. <laughs> I, I, I'm afraid you, you misunderstand. You see, I'm already married. Oh. Do you by chance ever read Cosmopolitan magazine? <laughs> I, 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 yes, I, no. I mean, I'm familiar with the story you're talking about, but, but really, I'm here on strictly a business matter. Oh, darn. Why is it every wolf I meet turns out to be a cocker spaniel? <laughs> Would you please listen to me for a moment? I bought a shirt here yesterday. Well, the adjustment department... I've already been, been upstairs to the adjustment department. All I want now is to find out where this girl lives so I can give her back the $5. It's as simple as all that. Oh, yes, I see. 
Good. But if I were you, sir, I'd stick to the caveman line. It works much better with us girls. <laughs> See, that's a good idea. Now, listen, babe. <laughs> you got Ingrid Mahoney's address? Oh, yes, sir. Give it to me. <laughs> yes, sir. 25 Chestnut Street. Thanks. So long, Tuts. Oh, Hyman, you're so big and strong. That's why I love you, Hyman. So you love me again, Ingrid? <laughs> I love you, Hyman. Say it again. I love you, Hyman. Say it again. I love you, Hyman. I don't believe it. If I ever catch any other guy looking at you, I will tear him in half like this. I'm not another telephone book. You see, I love you more than anything. Honest, I do. Well, I'm very flattered to be sure, but I wish you would control your jealousy, Hyman. It's getting to be very embarrassing. I can't help being jealous of you. You know that, Ingrid. If only I could submerge my physical side. There's no use. When I see another man interested in you, I just go... Hyman, please, not the classified! <laughs> oh, Hyman... Who could that be? Quite sure I don't know. Come in, the door is open. Uh, I beg your pardon, is Miss Ingrid Mahone? Oh, 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 there you are. Ingrid, what is the meaning of this? Honest, Hyman, I've never seen him before. Oh, yes, don't you remember me from the store yesterday? The, the 33 sleeve, uh, 16 a neck? <laughs> Down, Hyman. Well, well uh, yes, in a way, but don't you remember at the store yesterday, I gave you a five, and you evidently gave me change for a ten. Weren't you five dollars short in your accounts? I was no such a thing. Uh, are you sure? Well, naturally, I'm sure. And now, if you don't mind, you have made Hyman cry. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 please believe me, Hyman. Uh, Herman. <laughs> She was just another girl to me. <laughs> she was? Oh, of course. It's just that to you she seems so irresistible. You sure? Oh, of course. To other men, she's just an ordinary girl like thousands of... Miss Mahoney! Ingrid! Miss Mahoney! Ow, please! Yeah. Well, what happened? 
Well, I couldn't force the five dollars on her. She says she doesn't remember me and she doesn't know anything about any shortage. Well, that's funny. How could five dollars mysteriously pop into your wallet? Ozzy, what's that under your arm? It's a box of candy for you. Oh, thank you, dear. Yeah, I had to chase all over town to find one that cost exactly five dollars. <laughs> I figured it's five dollars found money, and I might as well blow it in on my best girlfriend. What a lovely thought, dear. Oh, soft centers. Isn't that lucky? Your favorite kind. <laughs> oh, they're good, too. Oh, yes. Ricky told me to remind you that his club is meeting here today. Are you a member or something? Oh, no, no. You know how kids are. If it's important to him, he thinks it's important to everybody. Hmm. I think I'll try one of those long ones now. Oh, there you are, Pa. Oh, hello, Rick. Here, have some candy. Gee, thanks, Pa. Oh, these candies are good. Oh, what is it, son? Do you have your wallet in your pocket? Oh, yes, I do. Why? Remember I told you I was the club treasurer? Yeah. What about it? We have five dollars in the treasury, and I put it in your wallet so I wouldn't lose it. Can I have it back now? to your club for a while. Your dad's trying to cough up five dollars. We sure got that five dollars just in time, didn't we? We sure did. The fellows were getting tired listening to me stalling them off. Well, you see, that shows you what resourcefulness can do. I don't like to brag, but when your old dad's up against it, you can usually depend upon him to figure out some way. Hey! What's that? Oh, it's only David. I guess he just found out what happened to his piggy bank. <laughs> And starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember, Heinz soups are condensed. You get twice as much soup by adding an equal part of milk or water. That suits me fine. Me too. I like a lot, boys. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were their two sons, David and Ricky Nelson, John Brown, Sarah Burner, Sheldon Leonard, Paula Winslow, Frank Nelson, and yours truly, Vern Smith. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. So long, folks. This is Ozzie saying goodnight for the four Nelsons and the 57 Varieties. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the new program, Christopher London, with Glenn Ford in the lead role, followed by My Favorite Husband. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.